What is up, you guys, and welcome back to episode 32 of the Lombard Trucking Show, where we are hauling freight and talking shit from state to state. I am your host, Michael Lombard, and I am proud to announce that we are officially one year into the podcasting game, two years into the career of professional driving. And if this is your first episode, I, number one, want to say welcome and thank you for listening. Maybe you found this podcast somewhere in your searches, or maybe it was recommended to you via your algorithm, and you're like, eh, I just want to start listening now. I saw that there's 31 previous episodes. I don't feel like, you know, taking all that time to catch up, and that's perfectly fine. Basically, this show is where I talk about my journeys and adventures as a professional driver, as well as owner-operator. I talk about where I'm going over the road, how I book the loads, my experiences doing them. And then I talk a little shit about what's going on in the freight world or what's going on in the world in general. And we got a fucking fantastic episode for you today. Going to follow you up on where I've been, where I've been driving, what's been going on. We're going to talk a little bit about that Tesla semi-truck. We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, future, too, of people's professional careers. So stay tuned. Uh, So I last left you off. I was doing a couple scrap runs for one of my carrier's customers out of Gentry, Arkansas, where I was bringing recyclable goods, sheet metal, cardboard, you name it, down to Dallas. Then I was taking stuff back up that way. So when I got back up to Gentry, I was free and clear, open as a bird. I had no schedule, but yet we were close to the weekend. And when you get close to the weekend, it's it's kind of a crapshoot because the goal is to not find something that's a short haul. Because you either want to stay rolling through the weekend or get yourself far enough to where you're parked on a Saturday afternoon. So that way by Monday morning, you've completed a full 34-hour reset. So that way you have a fresh 70-hour clock into your next week. So if you find something that is uh, a far enough distance away, but you've got to stretch your clock out to where you can't run recaps, where you're driving 10, 11 hours a day, then it might not be worth it. Because these are things that you have to kind of monitor when you're booking loads and as you're driving. Uh, Like I said, I think there are pros and cons to the the electronic logs. Uh, I know that most people are against them. And for the most part, I am as well. Uh, Any sort of regulation that tells you how you can run your business is uh, a little, you know, a little too much, in my opinion. For company drivers, I think it benefits them more because it stops your company from forcing you to do things and forcing you to run tired or to or forcing you to take breaks during the day when you you know aren't in the you know best time or best place to just immediately go to sleep but for an owner operator you you should be free to run your business as you see fit you know if i owned a comic book store and i wanted to be open 24 hours a day you know i have the liberty of doing that am i are you going to make money at 3 a.m in a comic book store I don't know. I, I don't know the comic book industry. Maybe you can't. I, I'm not really sure what that market caters to. But as somebody who owns a trucking company, there could be advantages to running at certain hours and when you pick certain loads. Maybe you have a refrigerated trailer and you're going to be delivering to places that are uh, delivering and picking up from places that are open 24 hours. So it might make sense for you to run nights or maybe you want to work more than 70 hours a week of on duty time. You know, you should be at liberty to to do that. You know, I can understand the limits of the 11 hours a day driving, but the 70 hour on duty clock total and having to reset that, I don't necessarily agree with it. If you're able to make that money, you should be able to go out there and get it. But 
Enough about the electronic logs. That's just a little bit of strategy I was talking about and how it came to booking loads. So as soon as I got empty in Gentry, I was just on the load boards. Truck Smarter, DAT. Um, Truck Smarter really didn't have what I was looking for. Everything was kind of small, staying around the Oklahoma area, paying okay. Um, I've mentioned before in previous episodes that this realm of the country, the Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, Louisiana, Kansas, Missouri area is where it's hot. Um, they, the rates were looking okay, but nothing, you know, tickling my fancy, nothing really, you know, sticking out there in my face saying, come get this. And I was like, all right, it looks like I'm going to need to get out of here. So I started going on Facebook, actually reading some forms, doing some research, seeing what drivers were talking about and come to find out rates right now are red hot coming out of the Chicagoland area, Southeast Wisconsin, as well as Columbus, Ohio. So I saw that. So I started looking at what was coming out of there and virtually everything was looking over three bucks a mile, which is phenomenal given the current climate, fuel prices climbing back up and all that nonsense. So I ended up finally finding a load off a broker Magellan. I've done a few loads for Magellan before. I wouldn't call them a mega broker like your CH Robinson uh, TQLs, but Magellan is a decent-sized, respectable carrier, credible. They'll pay detention. They'll pay layover. Have no problems. The brokers have always been very polite over the phone. I dealt with one gentleman. His name was Max. Very cool guy. Uh, loved working with him. So, uh, you know, in the world of, you know, these brokers looking to rob you, uh, he was very transparent, open and honest with what the load paid. So, hey, and I got a good rate just below three bucks a mile going from Joplin, Missouri, straight to Columbus, Ohio. I was actually delivering something for Abbott Nutrition, who makes baby formula, and they also make stuff for old people. And that's what I picked up. I picked up some Insure, which I guess is a beverage that you know, old people will take. And... Uh, it's funny, when I got to the place in Columbus, Ohio, I was talking to the guy who checked me in. And it was perfect delivery, too. I delivered on a Saturday. They had a, kind of a skeleton crew working, but it was busy. I was the only truck there. Showed up early. Guy got me right into a door. And I was like, so what is this I got? He goes, oh, uh, he looked at the bill of lading. He goes, oh, it looks like you've got some Insure, this uh, protein beverage. I was like, oh, do you guys like make like supplements or anything like that? He's like... Now it basically just deal with babies and old people. You know, we we uh, we tried to make products for stuff in between, but I guess nobody bought it. So, you know, you'll you'll see us when you're born, and you'll start seeing us when you're getting ready to die. And I just <laughs> I just actually thought that that was kind of funny. So from making that delivery in Columbus, I had to choose between resetting my clock or trying to find another load, and I had a pick of the litter of stuff coming out now. What sucks is a lot of stuff was primarily moving south and southeast of Columbus, going a lot to North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia, a lot going into Florida for the recovery efforts for the hurricane. And some of the stuff going into Florida was good, but a little inside baseball on that. I was talking to a gentleman who I networked with on TikTok, actually. He had posted about doing... Um, some of these loads that were going down to Florida, some FEMA loads, some just regular from brokers, and they pay very well. However, it's just there's a lot of hands in the pot. And so what ends up happening with some of these disaster relief efforts and, and these FEMA loads is you'll get this massive payday going down there. But once you get there, 
you could be waiting in a long line of trucks on these uh, you know, single stretch of roads and you could be waiting all day just inching up to get unloaded. And then when it comes time to get out of there, your odds are you're going to have to have an, uh, you know, to drive empty or deadhead your way out. And a lot of these loads were going down to the central Florida area around Kissimmee and Orlando. And when you're down there, you're several hours from Jacksonville, which there's a lot of freight that does come out of Jacksonville. And you're very far from Savannah and the Atlanta area, which also has some decent freight coming out. So you're going to have to get yourself empty. And some guys, it, maybe it's worth it because if the rate per mile averages out when you average a deadhead, maybe it's worth it. But I, I didn't have that type of time to kill because once again, uh, I'm heading my way back up to the Northeast for a wedding on October 22nd. And I've already had that load secured. It'll be going from Oklahoma City straight to Stanford, Connecticut. So I didn't want to be risking my time. Uh, of getting down to Florida, possibly being stuck down there, stranded, and then having to get my way back towards Oklahoma because a lot of stuff from the southeast part of the country doesn't really go back to Oklahoma and Texas, that area. So I had to be smart with how I was finding my load. So I did some searching again on the DAT and Truck Smarter, and I found a load that was picking up in Fostoria, Ohio, which is about 100 miles north of where Columbus was at. And that load took me from Fostoria straight back to Ardmore, Oklahoma, which is off I-35, right at the Texas-Oklahoma border. So it's perfect. It got me right back in the same wheelhouse I needed to be. And I was actually trying to run myself through my house back near Austin uh, because I wanted to grab some shit that I had gotten in the mail. So uh, kind of a double-edged sword with this one. It brought me back to where I needed to go, but you burn, you kind of torch, I torched half a day doing it. Uh, I was able to get loaded on it early. The pickup time was for Sunday at four in the afternoon. I ended up going there at like 11 because I read it on the Google reviews, but the delivery time is what sucked on it. It delivered on the 12th at two in the morning. I got right outside the facility at around 11 a.m. on the 11th. So I tried to go to this place and check in early. Mind you, this is a Dollar General distribution center. And like I've mentioned time and time again on these podcasts, uh, when it comes to the deliveries, any of the big distribution centers fucking suck. Any of the place that has hundreds of doors and a, a gate guard that you check in with and all that stuff, they're the ones with all these fucking rules and, oh, we're busy and all this other bullshit. And they make you wait and Oh, if you're waiting for four hours, then you have no reason to complain. Those types of fucking piece of shit places. And so I tried to check in early. Guy was cool about it. He's like, hey, man, I don't fault you. He goes, if I was you, I'd try out too. And hey, if we weren't busy, I would try to work you in. But, you know, come back at midnight and, you know, we'll get you checked in. So, okay, he's allowing me to check in, um, you know, at least two hours early for this appointment. I I wasn't mad about it. Like I said, I, I booked the load knowing delivery time it was worth it it was paying pretty good so i go back in check in at midnight hang out just take a quick nap i get a door about 1 30 got unloaded there i went straight back to the gas station i was parked at waiting to just got right back in my spot and then my next load picked up on the 12th at three in the afternoon so it was actually perfect how it lined up that i wasn't like having to cheat my clock or anything was too close i was getting a load that picked up 
in Roanoke, Texas at 3 p.m. And it was going to deliver right in Austin at 9 p.m. Now, this place, and I should have known this because this is how J.B. Hunt runs. J.B. Hunt moves probably some of the most amount of freight in this country. And I knew that this load must have been something that a place was severely backed up on because it was paying very good. And J.B. Hunt pays like crap uh, all the time. J, the J.B. Hunt load board is absolute garbage. Um, but I picked it because it was heading me straight back to Austin. I wanted to run through the house. And then I had I had a Waco that was going to bring me right back up to Arkansas. So that way I could just hop right over to OKC for that load that's going to take me up to Connecticut. This J.B. Hunt load, 3 p.m. appointment, I show up at 12.30. 3 p.m. comes and goes. Uh, it, I didn't get to the door with the red light until 6 p.m. And then I was out of there at 6.45. So the delivery I had, like I mentioned before, I've never been late for a fucking delivery. I've never been late for a pickup. This is the first time a delivery is going to be late, but this was because of the shipper. And no harm, no foul on it. I made the delivery. I told the guy it was going to a Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola place in Austin. I told the guy, he didn't even notice that I was late. I told him, I was like, oh, I'm sorry I wasn't here earlier. And then he looked at the bills again. He goes, oh, yeah, uh, it says, you know, 9, 9 p.m. or whatever. What happened? I was like, the shipper had me here, you know, had me waiting forever for a door. That place, the place was very, very busy. Uh, the trucks were lined up on the road. They had parking spots within the warehouse facility, but the, there was just too many trucks. People getting loaded and unloaded. Very disorganized place and for anyone who is a driver or owner operator out there listening the name of this shipper was the texas beverage company in roanoke texas um do some recon on it because the place is just too jamming way too overbooked i don't know who runs their supply chain or logistics department but you know big fucking thumbs down from lumbar trucking on them do better anyways but Guy was straight up with me. He's like, hey, man, quicker you get in that door, I'll get you out of here in 15 minutes. And he wasn't fucking lying. I got backed into that door, and I, I was out. He gave me a whistle in 15 minutes flat. I kid you not. This guy was the fucking man. Had me out of there, shot myself back home for the day. Best part is when I have to grab these Waco loads and bring them back up to Arkansas, there's no timeline on it. It's a preloaded trailer. It's not a live unload. Uh, it's It's... It's a drop and hook freight, so it's it that's that's the best part. So I got back to my house at like midnight. You know, I was, I was still able to sleep. Got some grocery shopping done, and then I ended up leaving for Waco at around 10:30 ish. Picked it up, crashed that night on the Texas Oklahoma border, and now I'm back up here hanging out in my little hideaway in Siloam Springs, ready to. Bought myself over to OKC to pick up on Monday and head up to Connecticut. Now, if you have been following along with me on YouTube, I recently dropped a video where I go into detail about some of my opinions regarding the Tesla semi truck. So let's get right into it. Basically, this Tesla semi truck is supposed to be delivered to a Pepsi distribution facility ready to rock. This December. Now, I have my doubts 
regarding the fact that it will actually get delivered, but that's not actually what I care about. What I care about is the Tesla semi-truck overall. And I got into this conversation with a gentleman named Alex. And if you don't know who Alex is, his name's Alex Good Energy. He owns Good Energy Worldwide, an awesome company. If you're in the industry, go check him out. This guy has a bunch of courses on getting into the trucking industry, getting into dispatching, growing your fleet, stuff like that. He just popped up on my YouTube algorithm. It was an interview that he did with somebody, and he gave a synopsis of his whole career, and it was awesome. Pretty inspiring, especially for a guy like me who is just getting into this whole owner-operator thing. Loved him. You know, he came from, the, I believe, the Atlanta area, got into it with a, a Fox truck, you know, really started from the ground up. And now, you know, he has small fleet, dispatching courses, doing dispatching, brokering, the whole shebang. The guy is very wealthy. He is doing very well for himself. So go check him out. This is definitely not a fault at him. I'm not stabbing at him. This is just some discourse that we had had on something that we just disagree on. He's been very active on social media in support of the Tesla semi-truck. He has been very vocal about his support of it, saying scared money doesn't make money and I'm taking a risk. I will be the guinea pig. And I agree with him. I do not doubt his intellect on this, his, you know, his risk taking abilities. I, I support exactly what he's doing. The only thing that thing that rubs me the wrong way is what he sells and his product and his brand is how you can come from outside this industry and kind of come from nothing and build yourself into this industry and build a company and own your own business and become very successful. That is his brand. So I had commented that on his Instagram. I said, I don't, I don't doubt you for thinking that this is the future and like that you're taking a risk. I think it's awesome. The only thing is, you know, you're somebody who says that this industry is something that you can come from the outside on, not have a whole lot of technical skills and become successful. This Tesla semi truck is made for putting out and edging out the owner operator, the small business owner, the small fleet owner. It totally goes against exactly where he started from. I meant no disrespect by this comment. It's just the truth. With this Tesla semi-truck and with the infrastructure that comes along with it to keep it in operation, it is not meant for guys like me. It is not meant for the uh, small fleet owner or the owner operators out there or the 300,000 to 350,000 owner operators out there. It's not meant for the guys who own their own trucks and lease onto carriers. This Tesla semi-truck is meant for large corporations and very extremely wealthy people. He replied back to me, and this is why I kind of wanted to post about this topic. I didn't expect him to. This guy gets a lot of traffic on his social media accounts. He has a lot of interactions, a lot of comments. He has a lot of supporters. So I didn't think he would take the time to, you know, talk to, you know, little old douchebag me, you know, just leaving a comment under his page. But he did. And he commented back. He said, that, you know, this is, I, I don't believe this. The truck itself is $150,000. You know, there's brand new Peterbilts that are $150,000. It comes with a $40,000 tax credit. And the amount of money that companies will save on the fuel costs are going to, you know, negate anything like that. But here's the thing. You, number First and foremost is you need the infrastructure for this. Most owner operators are over the road drivers. If you're going outside of two to 300 miles of where this truck is going, where are you going to be able to charge it? 
because the truck stops aren't set up for it. Tesla doesn't have charging stations for it. The infrastructure is just not there for it. However, if you're somebody like Coke, Pepsi, an LTL carrier with several drop yards and terminals, and you have you know multi-millions to billions in revenue to invest in this infrastructure, then it'll work for you. If you're Walmart, it is going to work for you. But if you're somebody who even has their own authority and owns one truck and one trailer, where where are you going to take all of that freight? So say you only do loads that go 200 miles an hour, you still have to go back to where you're charging it at. Logistically, it does not make sense for the small business owner. So that's first and foremost, is the entire infrastructure idea behind this. It is not meant for the small business owner. They can't handle it because it just doesn't exist yet. Next thing is the price point. So this truck is $150,000 with this quote unquote $40,000 tax credit. Most first time owner operators, especially before inflation kicked in. So let's just say this pre pre 2020. We'll talk, we're going we're gonna to talk about it from the lens of pre 2020 when Alex Good Energy was getting himself up and building himself into this business. Most first time owner operators got a decent used truck from anywhere between 40 and $80,000. If you have decent credit, getting financing like that for a first time owner operator was very achievable. My truck, still a decent price, was $114,000, only four years old. And even though it was a little bit more, and I think pre-inflation, it's probably more so worth, you know, between 88 and 95,000, maybe just from kind of how I've looked at things. So I paid a little bit more. It was very difficult to secure financing for it. Basically, if I didn't have a business partner, the credit we have, already having the house, all that sort of things, we would not have gotten this truck or it would have been an extremely high interest rate. Our interest rate is in the eights, which is sometimes unheard of for first time owner operators. So Alex, you know, in his comment back to me, says that it's not that hard to get financing for a $150,000 truck. For who though? Like I said, this is a gentleman who marketed himself as you can come from being on the outside and getting into this industry. So right then and there, this truck is not for the first time buyer. So it cuts and you know, he likes to say it's going to cut your fuel costs because your fuel's going to go down to zero. They are already trying to find ways to charge for those fees. The government is, that is. Other establishments are trying to make sure that they can fill that gap of what they're not going to make in fuel. This has to do with IFTA, the International Fuel Tax Agreement. There's going to be something to offset that cost. And that goes into a whole other can of worms that he disagreed with. If you own that Tesla semi-truck and you are doing business with other customers, once they find out or they know that you're running an electric fleet or you have electric trucks, what do you think they're going to do when it comes to what they're paying you to haul it? They're going to drop their price down because they're going to say, you're not paying for diesel anymore. Why should I pay you this much when you have no gas price? And that will happen quicker than he thinks. He retorted back to me again on there saying, there's, you know, 3 million trucks on the road. It'll take a long time before the rates are reflective of that. That's just wildly untrue. If I'm a business, I'm going to look at who I'm giving my uh, freight to. I'm going to look up that company. I'm going to look up their MC number because I can guarantee you that the FMCSA and the DOT are going to make it known that your carrier has an electric fleet or has those options. Why? Because a lot of this electric stuff is gonna come with tax incentives and more on that in a second. So they're going to plummet the freight rates. So if they plummet the rates on these uh, for what these electric fleets are moving, 
who's that going to help? The driver pay is going to have to go down because you're not going to be able to afford to pay drivers. All this, the, the, it's a slippery slope that's actually not that slippery. It's, it's fucking soaking wet with oil, and it's a straight downward spiral. It will crush small businesses. All this does is favor large businesses. And if you don't believe it, just go back and look at COVID. What did they do in 2020? Who got killed the most? Small businesses forced to close. Who won from COVID? Who got the W's? Amazon, Walmart, fucking every online massive corporation, the Target, all these companies fucking made off like fucking Scrooge McDuck swimming in piles of money. But the small business owners, they're the ones who failed. And then when it came down to trying to help them, who really benefited the most from all the PPP loans and all that bullshit? Fucking rich people, the big businesses. I, I don't know. I'm going to keep saying this on this podcast because I, I'm because I feel like no one's fucking listening. You need to realize that all of this is by fucking design. This is exactly how they want to do it. The writing on the wall for all this starts with this electric car bullshit. Always follow the money. This administration, our government is doing everything they can to funnel money into this electric car stuff, saying it's the future, it's the future. All it does is guarantee us a future of continuing to be a consumer slave to China, who's the ones that are making these batteries mined by their slave, with lithium mined by their slave labor, with cobalt mined by their African slave labor out there in the DRC, children nine years old mining for this cobalt. That's what it does. It doesn't actually help the planet. It doesn't help the environment. It just continues to make sure that the rich keep getting richer because that's all that's happening right now. We could solve all of the climate change issues and we could fix pollution in the planets. But what needs to happen first is we need to make sure the winners and losers are picked. And the U.S. government is going to do that. The elites, the powers that be. You think that if I invented an engine tomorrow that ran off of oxygen and all you needed to do was just turn a key and it never needed to charge, never needed to fill up. You don't think I would get fucking Epstein the next fucking day? Are you kidding if you find a way to undermine the powers that be, you're fucking done. That's why, that, like, with the electric truck bullshit, with the Tesla trucks, oh, you're going to save on fuel? This whole IFTA and the fuel tax agreement, tax dollars are like fucking drugs to this country. Once you find a way to circumvent it to where you don't have to use that service anymore and you're not paying into it, they're going to find a way to nail you. When they're not getting access to those funds, so when the, when the IFTA is not being paid and fuel taxes aren't being paid, they don't just reevaluate their budgets and change how they do things. No, they're going to get that fucking money, hell or high water. You guarantee it. They don't just do it. They, you know, you don't just figure it out and they're like, oh, hey, I guess that's the future. Guess we just can't use this money anymore. No, because they use that money to make their budgets for the futures. No, they're coming after you one way or another. People need to start realizing that the government doesn't give a flying fuck about climate change. They don't care about pollution. They only care about who's lining their pockets the most and who they could pick to be the next winners and losers who's going to continue to line their pockets for the next hundred or thousand years or however they plan to do it. Because if the government did care about climate change, it did care about fixing the planet, they would listen to the science. They would actually follow the real science and we'd be going all in on nuclear energy. I was actually just talking to my friend Zoe the other day. Go back and listen to our interview. I did an interview with her about the oil and gas industry. She was just at the Environmental Federation of Oklahoma's trade show the other day, their 30, 31st meeting. 
She tells me that because of the negative outlook and negative perceptions of nuclear energy, professionals and nuclear engineers are retiring at cyclic rates and they can't refill the gaps because people are so turned off by the idea of nuclear energy because nobody's putting any money into it. Nobody gives a flying fuck about it. You want to know why? Because if we figure out nuclear fusion and we can fucking mastermind it and do it, then energy is free. You pay for it once, you'll never need to pay for it again. And like I just said, you figure that out, you know how many people fucking go down for that? How many businesses crumble? How many people just, there's no point to them anymore? Power companies, all these monopolies they have, they can't let that happen. There's no fucking way. So like I said, follow the fucking money. They will spend millions, billions, trillions of your own tax dollars and funnel it into whatever can maintain the status quo to keep them on top and you an endless consumer slave. Don't believe me? Let's take a look at JFK. The U.S. government worked in cooperation with the Chicago mob to murder a sitting president on U.S. soil. You ask anybody nowadays who killed JFK, they're going to tell you, the CIA and the mob. They're all going to give you the same answer. It always goes back to the government. Are you fucking kidding me? We're going to let our own government murder a president, literally treason, and just shrug it off? Let's take a look at Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. We have a fucking whole flight log full of the world's elites, U.S. politicians, presidents, members of the royal family, and we just fucking shrug it off. Let it go in the news. Every, it's like a meme. Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. It's a fucking meme. That's what we do. That's how we treat these elites. We give them that fucking power. Why? Because we're their fucking consumer slaves. Who cares, man? I can get fucking anything I want in the palm of my hand. Anything I want. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. But like I, said, I can go off on this all day. But uh, personally, I think I've gone too far. Who knows? My podcast might start getting flagged. I might start getting warning signs for missing disinformation, all that sort of thing. We'll go ahead and cut it right there. Guys, the first form app, go check it out. I'm working on that app now. Uh, I, like I mentioned in the last episode, I'm able to work kind of as an advisor on that app. My goal is to help other drivers out there change their lives and health and wellness. I'm in the midst of an eight-week transformation challenge right now on the app. Uh, and I'm hoping the results from that can show you kind of how awesome working within the first form app can be. So definitely go check it out. If you got any questions, feel free to reach out to me on all the socials, Lombard Trucking on Twitter, Instagram, and go check out that YouTube channel. Throw me some likes, ring the bell and hit subscribe. Get me spun up into the algorithms out there. And as always, if you guys ever want to talk, I'll be here.